Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you all here. See a lot of number of you were at the, the beach party last night and uh, at the Crumley House. Uh, a lot of people who were at the beach party at the Crumley House are not here this morning. <laughs> they must have stayed for the dancing part. I left, I left before the dancing. Uh, yeah, for all kinds of, for everybody's sake. Um, but it was a good, it was a good night. And um, I know June appreciated the strong support from, from Muncie and from the folks in this, this class. So if you were here last week, you know you had homework, right? I don't hear any, <laughs> that, that not inspire a lot of confidence there. <laughs> I didn't even hear a, 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 a grumbling, a mumbling. Uh, yeah, you had homework, uh, and it's okay if, if you, if you uh, either were here and forgot or weren't here and so didn't know you had homework, it's all good. Um, if you were here last week, you know our lesson got cut short a little bit because Ryan Beavers, our new uh, Minister of Young Adults, was here and was introduced and, uh, and made the mistake of asking if you had any questions. <laughs> and of course you did. And uh, so uh, we had about 10 minutes and, you know, I, yeah, I, I can't do anything in 10 minutes. So we just introduced what we were going to talk about this week. Uh, all summer long, we've been exploring different Im biblical images and metaphors for God. Uh, some, some familiar, uh, like father and friend. Uh, some a little less familiar. We talked about God is food, which was weird, right? Uh, but the bread of life, uh, vine dresser, vine carer, uh, we're the branches, all of that. Um, and this time we're going to be talking about what does it mean for God? I mean, there's in the Psalms and in other places, uh, God is talked about as dwelling place. Right? I mean, that means one of the first images you think of when you think of is God. Uh, God as dwelling place, as habitation, uh, as abiding place, as, if you will, home. So part of the home work that you had for last week was to think about three questions. We're just going to, I am going to solicit a bit of feedback with the emphasis on bit. Because um, we could talk about this for weeks. It's really fascinating. Some of you, uh, I saw you this week and you'd been thinking about it. And uh, some people who couldn't be here this week have already sort of phoned in their answers. Um, so I've heard from people all week about this. It's been kind of fun. Um, so the questions were uh, about home. One was, when you think about home, like what for you makes a home a home? Like you've lived, a number of you have lived in lots of different places. Some of those have felt more like home than others. And so I ask you to think about in your own mind, and there's great variation here, sort of like what makes a home a home. So that was the first question. The second one was, I was just curious in a group this size, how many different dwelling places that you've had over the course of your life? 
So uh, part of the reason that was a helpful assignment because a lot of you, you said it took some time to count all those up. And a lot of people were surprised at how many different places they'd lived, right? How many different houses. Um, then the last thing about home uh, was when you think about all the, the homes that you've had, uh, most of us think about them in different ways. Some of them we feel more attachment to than others. Um, and the question I asked you to think about was, what, what is it specifically uh, about some of those homes that accounts for the attachment that you have? And so, so for example, I gave uh, a pretty common example. Uh, for the first 21 or 22 years of my life, I lived in the same house. Um, it's the house I grew up in. Right, I mean, so for me, it's sort of like the paradigmatic, it's like the house, right, that I think of. When I think of home, I think of the house that I spent the first 22 years of my life in. I have other homes that I'm attached to, but none of them do I have that kind of attachment to. Right, so there's all kinds of things wrapped up in that that we could talk about. So, so that was the homework, right, the homework, you already got that. Um, so real, real quickly, just, just here, just a, a handful of answers. When, when you think about home, as far as what makes a home more than just, you know, a roof, um, what, what kind of things came to your mind? It's here a few. Say it loud enough, and I'll try to repeat them for those who can't hear. Family. Okay, family. Jerry? 23 houses less than a handful where those houses were also places of great spiritual. Hmm. Okay, Jerry said 23 houses. That's a lot. He said a handful of those that he felt like were really spiritual home. Memories. Say it again. Memories. Yeah, memories. Uh, Homes are a, a real place of memory, right? And, and uh, yeah, that, that's, that, that's pretty huge. The buzz and noise of children. Okay, yeah. <laughs> buzz and noise of children. That's a sanitized way of saying it. Yeah. Little, little feet pattering. Little feet pattering, yeah. People screaming. Occasionally. Occasionally, yeah. Yeah. First house at 55, yeah. I've always considered the mountains my home. I don't like the flat country. Ah, yeah. And the environment you're in. Yeah, so that's the interesting part. So sometimes the home isn't just the physical abode, but it's also the landscape in which it's located. Um, I made a quick trip up to Indiana, which is where I was born. Um, and I'm in the northern part of Indiana, which is really flat, glaciated, boring, as I've come to see it now. Um, but I, can't, I can't think I can live there anymore, right? Because I have to have the mountains. I've been, in, I've been in the south, you know, 30 years or so now, and I've always been in the mountains. And when, I, when I'm driving back south and I first see the mountains, I feel like I'm home, right? It's true. Um, so that's a good reminder that 
home is more than just the physical dwelling, but it's also the landscape that sometimes you feel attachment to. Well, yeah, so all the kinds of friends and neighbors that come with a place that you, you live, the attachments that you have, the relationships that you have with people around. Lord. Yeah, yeah, a place that you feel safe and peace. We often associate with home. Um, yeah, Daryl. Sermons on you can't go home again unless there's love there. I've found that true. That I, there's a lot of places when I go back, these people that still knew me or knew my family, love is there. Yeah, thanks, Daryl. So, yeah, the home often is attached with the love, and the way I, I like the way you put it, it's it's where you're known, right? I mean, um, people know you, and they'll just know you superficially. I mean, for good or ill, they know you, right? Uh, they have memories of you. They can tell stories of you. Uh, they they hold part of who you are. Right? Because uh, we, we all know that our own sense of who we are, we get from other people. Right? You know this. Right? Your sense of self, you didn't just generate on your own. <laughs> you, you get it from other people. You see yourself through the eyes of other people. And a lot of those, I mean, it has to be people that know you. <laughs> right? The people who know you the best are the ones who've made the biggest impact on your identity. So. So there's lots of, there's more we could say about what makes a home, but we've, we've latched onto a lot of really important things. So those are some things that make home home for at least some of us. I appreciate that feedback. So I'm just curious, has anyone in this room lived in the same home your whole life? How about... Anybody lived in two places? Just two homes. We do have some. I have, a, she's obviously not here, but Tanya has an aunt that is 92, 93 years old, lived in the same home her whole life and never wed. Okay. Pretty impressive. Incredible lady, incredible. Tanya's aunt's 92 years old and lived in the same house her whole life, never wed. Yeah. Had somebody lived in just, just two places. Just two places. And they're back to back. They're back to back. Wow. Nancy Stanton was telling me that Nancy Lester has lived on same either the same on the same street. Uh, same street, just two places, uh, within a stone's throw of each other. Um, so that's uh, that's unusual. So how many how many have lived at, at least? Uh, Ten different places. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> How about uh, 15? At least 15. How about 20? Wow. How about 25? Wow, this is... I've gotten vertigo already. <laughs> wow. Anybody more than 30? Th over 30. My husband worked for an oil company. Yeah. So we moved around a lot. So how many? Did you count? I have to go back. 
lot of states. Yeah. A lot of houses. Okay, March, over 30. That's a lot. Yeah. So, a lot of you have moved a lot, been in lots of places. My hunch is that some of those places we have more attachment to than others. And I suspect that a lot of what we're attached to, we've already named in the first question, but I'm just curious if there are other things. Uh, when you think about the, the places where you've lived, where you feel the deepest attachment, what's the source of that attachment, if you can name it? Or part of it. It's always hard to name the whole thing. Uh, but what's some of the attachment that you feel? Parents, yeah, sometimes it's your family. It's been a place of uh, family, so there's all of that connection. Yeah, Barry? This sounds trivial, but I think of the sense of home cooking. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think it's trivial at all. Uh, we, we are deeply attached to our food as human beings. Um, we all know how much of our memories are actually attached to our olfactory system, right? Our sense of smell, right? Um, if you can get somebody to cook something that sounds, that smells vaguely like a childhood dish that you were deeply attached to, that pulls back so many memories, just like that. Unbidden. It's not like you're trying to do it, right? It just happens. Um, so it's true. I mean, Food is not unimportant. Um, we're attached. Uh, part of what we feel like is home. It's hard to be at home in a place where you don't. That's, that's part of why foreign travel is is a challenge, right? For all the beauty of it, it's why you never feel quite home because it's like I don't even know what I'm eating for sure, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, home is a place where, as part of the. The at-homeness is you know what to expect as far as something as simple as your food. Yeah. Um, not only have I been a pastor, but my dad was a pastor. Mm. And um, it wasn't until uh, I, I met Joyce and went to her home mm. when I was in college that I had a sense of what home really means. And mm. to me, it's a sense of settledness or security that you're not in somebody else's house. Mm. That, was a, that was a pretty dramatic revelation uh, to me personally as I dealt with that. So having a home since then has always been rather important uh, as I dealt with all of the, the emotions and attachments that are a part of not just the house, right. but the security, because the house is part of your, what you own. Yeah. The settledness. Yeah, thanks Dave. So it's the sense of settledness that comes, Dave was talking about the fact that uh, he had this sense in going to Joyce's house that, um, that you weren't in somebody else's house, right? That you are, quote, at home there. Um, Nancy Stanton mentioned something similar last week. She couldn't be here, but she wanted, um, I asked her if I could use this example. She said that for all the, all the, the privilege and honor of, of living at Shellbridge all those years, part of the challenge was it's not yours, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, there's a, 
she just wanted to say, and other people, if you've lived in a parsonage or something like that, if you're, others of you have lived in other people's homes, uh, just may not have been owned by the state. <laughs> or the, yeah. Um, but she has said, you know, it just felt different than any place else she lived, right? Um, partly because, um, I was doing some reading this week, you know, part of what a lot of people talk about making a home their home, it talked about the whole, you know, do-it-yourself movement in American culture. Um, and it said that a lot of that has to go, a lot of the sort of do-it-yourself, fix-it-up has to do with making it the home your own, right? Um, somehow shaping it in a way that it feels like you've left a mark on it that reflects something of what you care about, right? Um, could be a little thing. Could be like uh, one person talked about just uh, putting a solid wood door on the front, <coughs> right? For them, they knew it was going to take more upkeep. They knew it was going to be harder to take care of, all that. But something just for them felt like it was more welcoming, right? It felt warmer. And so that was their little imprint on the house that made it feel like more that was their home, right? So lots of things like that. So we have attachments uh, to our homes. And I want us to talk about all of this because I think it's easy when you open up the Psalms, um, like Psalms uh, 91, um, 90, uh, the opening verse in Psalm 90 says, uh, Lord our God, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. You have been our dwelling place. You have been our habitation. You have been our home. Um, I think there's, there's some real profundity to that that's easy to miss. You can just kind of scurry over uh, the, this, this language of dwelling place and not really think about what does it mean to think of God as dwelling place, as home, if you will. Um, clearly, we, we have a lot of attachment to home. Uh, a lot of our, our guts, if you will, a lot of our deepest uh, associations uh, are with home. What's it mean to think of God as our, our dwelling place, as, as our home? And I got to thinking about uh, all the words that we use for home, um, which actually echo a lot of the biblical words that, that uh, Scripture and Jesus uses about uh, these matters. Um, we do call them dwellings, right? Uh, we don't talk about that very much. Um, Jesus is going to talk about um, abiding, dwelling or abiding places, right? And it's a little archaic, but you can still call a home an abode, right? Which is a place you abide. Um, so what, let's think a little bit about what, what might it possibly mean if we, if we sort of try on um, this notion, this, this image, this metaphor of, of God as, as dwelling place. 
Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Let me read the opening verses of the next psalm where this language comes up again. This is Psalm 91. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that wastes at noonday. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the Most High your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, no scourge come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. I don't know if you recognize those last two verses. Right, those, is the, those are the verses that uh, Satan tempts Jesus with. Right? Uh, quotation from Psalm 91. So, a couple things. So, clearly, in, in Psalm 91, we get this sense of that, that you all recognized as well, that home is this language of refuge, right? So, part of what God is dwelling place is, is, is a refuge. Um, a lot of us think of home. At, at times, we need a refuge, right? Um, sometimes it can be, you know, just the end of a hard day and you need to walk into a safe space, right? Let, let your hair down, say whatever it is you need to say to whoever who will listen to get it off your chest, right? Whatever you've been carrying all day long, right? I mean, um, someplace, a, a safe space. It goes back to a little bit what Dave was saying. This kind of a secure place where you are held, um, you don't have to prove yourself, right? Um, you, you can let your hair down, you can be who you are, you can be accepted, you can be loved, as Daryl said. Um, and, and it feels safe. It feels like shelter. Uh, and and we all, there, are all times, there are times when all of us need that. And, and hopefully there are there are times when we offer that to other people in our home, right? So sometimes it's not just you, the one who's coming in who needs refuge, it's somebody else in your family who needs refuge. Maybe a child, a grandchild, it may be your spouse, right? It may be anyone, maybe a, a neighbor. Um, so the sense that uh, God, God wants to be that for us. God wants to be our refuge and the psalmist proclaims that God is our, our refuge. Uh, and it's, it's interesting, all the, the images and metaphors, they sort of get piled up in this one psalm, right? About refuge and fortress. 
you've got the image of God um, sheltering us with pinions, with feathers, right? Sort of like holding us, sheltering us uh, from uh, inclement weather, right? Guarding and protecting us. Um, the psalmist is, is confident that God is, is a refuge, uh, is a shelter. So um, at one level, we all know that. Uh, we all sense we have this deep need for such refuge and shelter and protection and security. Um, and, and home is where, is where we often find that. Uh, God, God wants to be our dwelling place, our, our refuge. Uh, what would it mean to, to seek and to, to have the confidence uh, that God, God is our refuge and that God desires to be that for us? Um, that, that's part of what makes a home a home. It's, it's not just it's a refuge. It's not, it's not just a fortress. It's not just because you can close the door, lock it, you know, and shut out the world. <laughs> you have a sense that those who are in your home are themselves that it's not just the building, right? It's that the people in your in your family, in your home, are a refuge for you, right? At their best. Well, it's true, right? I mean, it, it would be dishonest to say that every time someone in my family needed me to be a refuge, I was there. I mean, I have failed at being a refuge for people who needed me to be a refuge. Maybe you have too. Right? Um, so at our best, by God's grace, we, we can be refuge for each other. Uh, ultimately, God is our ultimate refuge. So God is refuge. God, something that you also mentioned, um, I got a feeling we're going to be on ours, uh, rest, right? A home is a place of, of rest. Um, God wants to be our rest, right? We can rest in God. Uh, we can rest in, in each other, in, in our homes. Um, there's a lot about life that's exhausting. Um, and we need rest. And uh, we, were, we were made for rest. Right? That's God made us to rest. Not just be busy worker bees. God also made us to rest. Um, and there's something good and beautiful about rest. And a home, a home uh, should be a place of rest where you can relax and let your guard down and be renewed and refreshed. Um, God wants to be that. God wants to be our dwelling place, our place of rest. What does it mean to rest in the assurance uh, that God wants your best, my best, uh, that God wants to renew and refresh and sustain you, uh, that God, yeah, that God wants you to feel comfortable enough. Um, I mean, the beautiful thing about the home, the rest of the home, again, there's, there's no pretense. We were talking about uh, 
God is clothes, right? Putting on Christ. The week we talked about that. We said that all of us have those set of clothes uh, that we put on when we don't expect to see anybody. We don't have to be presentable. We just want to rest and relax, right? It's our, our comfy clothes, and everybody admitted they have those. Um, we feel comfortable wearing those around God. We've got to dress up. Right? I mean, can God be our rest? Can we just be at home and just realize that uh, God takes us as we are uh, and uh, no pretense there? Um, so a dwelling place is a place of, of rest. Um, Donna mentioned it's a, it's a place of memory, place of uh, remembrance. Let's keep it the R's. Why not? We're on it. Um, so we got refuge, rest, and a place of remembrance, right? A house, a house is a place of remembrance. A dwelling place is a place of remembrance. The psalmist uh, can't help but remember God's faithfulness and turns it into a kind of psalm of praise. So great is the psalmist's confidence that, that God will protect that God will um, be a place of security. But our homes are places of remembrance. One of the things that's, that's hard, when I go back, when I try to, I, I can't go back to my childhood home, it's been torn down. Um, it had the, uh, it was torn, yeah, it's always sad. And the reason it's sad is because we have attachment to the home, right? And so I can go sit in the parking lot near the largest, one of the largest industrial parks in the country now. Uh, sit on the, sit, it's not quite, I don't get quite the warm, fuzzy feelings. Uh, and the landscape's different too. <laughs> um, there is still a train track about a quarter mile away. It's about the only uh, landmark I, I can see that in the the numbers of the businesses, I can sort of say, well, I think my house was around here. Um, but we have, so many of our memories are attached to our homes. You can remember certain kind of things. Um, I was in the shower today thinking about, like, what was an example of that from my childhood home? I came up with a, it, it's an honest example. Um, it happened when I, I think I must have been about, I was a teenager, and uh, I was the fourth boy. Uh, my next oldest brother, he got in a, a pretty heated argument with my father, our father, I guess, father of both of us, um, father of all of us. And, and I, I don't really know, I don't remember what happened. I never had the courage to ask my brother, like, what happened, at least what, how does he remember it all these years later, you know, 45 years later. Um, I just remember that inexplicably, my next oldest brother picked up a rock paperweight that our youngest sister had made for my father that was sitting over that and threw it at my father. And he ducked out of the way and it made a huge mark, not a huge mark, but a noticeable mark on our door of our kitchen, um, which was there until they tore the house down. It was hard not to remember that. Uh, 
as you can imagine, that actually that event didn't go well for my brother. <laughs> um, but it's hard not, as you're walking out the door, to see that mark and not think, that's who we are. Right? Wasn't our best day. Um, but, you know, we're still here. We still love each other. And, uh, yeah, not our finest hour, but it's part of who we are. Right? And uh, so it, the, our house was literally marked by, by us in, in kinds of ways. And you have all kinds of memories. That's why a lot of you have furniture from fam your parents or your grandparents in your homes. Not just necessarily because it's the most valuable piece of furniture in your house. It might be worth nothing. People might say, why do you have that in here? It doesn't go with your house. It's like, you don't get it. I mean, it doesn't matter if it goes with my house, right? That's a piece of furniture that I remember from growing up or that belonged to somebody that matters, right? And so we have all those attachments and memories that are uh, connected. Um, but most of all, those memories are, are not just a furniture or even a food, but they're of, of the people which all of you seem to, to say. So, you know, the, the relationships, if we need another R, I guess. Um, that somehow these dwelling places are, are spaces for the development of some of our deepest relationships. Um, relationships with our family. Um, but it's also the case that it's not just family, it's other people too. Um, because at our, at our best, these, these dwelling places um, are not just fortresses and refuge, but they're places that we welcome other people in to be refuge for, to be a rest for them, right? I, I take it that's part of what you recognize, Dave, was that somebody's house could be a place of shelter for you, right? And... Um, and that's a, that's a remarkable gift to give to someone else, is, is to make your home not just a refuge or a rest for you, but a, a rest or a refuge, uh, a place of remembrance, a place of relationship for other people as well. And so God, God is dwelling place. You know, rest, refuge, remembrance. God wants to be that uh, God clearly wants, I mean, to say that God is our dwelling place, that God wants us to dwell in and with God is clearly an invitation to relationship, just as you invite someone into your home. But as I was thinking about this over the last couple of weeks, here's the part that sort of stopped me in my tracks. And again, I, I had thought of this, but I hadn't thought of it in these terms before. Um, is the psalmist here announces that God wants to be our dwelling place. And yet the, the breathtaking part of the gospel, right, is that God's willing for us to be God's dwelling place. You get that? It's not just that God wants us to dwell in God's dwelling place. God is willing to dwell to make, for us to create a dwelling place, for
for us to be a dwelling place for God. And again, I've known that in some ways for as long as I've known enough about the gospel to know what it was. But that's, when you start putting it that way, it's like, that's extraordinary. We've talked about this being the year of vulnerability. Right? And here we have, again, another example. When you're a guest in someone's home, you're vulnerable. Right? When it's done well, you feel less vulnerable uh, because you feel welcome, you feel at home. Uh, and yet God has this great act of vulnerability in, in becoming flesh and dwelling among us and wanting to come and abide and dwell within us. Right? So, we would be missing a huge part of the scriptural witness here if we just stopped at God is our dwelling place. As good news and as beautiful an image as that is, I don't want you to, to set that aside. I want you to ponder that this week. What would it really mean to abide? Which is the Jesus' language in the Gospel of John, right? Uh, Jesus is deeply fond of the language of abiding. Right. Um, when we were talking about the, the vine and the branches, right? That Jesus uses the language of abide there. Right. If I abide in you and you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Right. And in that famous line that we often read at funerals, Right. Um, but I go to prepare a place for you. Right. And I'm not as terribly fond of the, you know, in my house are many mansions. Um, I, th I think particularly for um, privileged, comfortable North Americans like me, that gives me the wrong impression, right? I mean, literally what Jesus says is, in my Father's house are many abiding places, right? Um, I don't think it says anything about like, the square footage, <laughs> right? I don't think that's the point, right? Which is what we think of when we think of mansions, right? I think it just gets us off on the wrong track. I mean, Jesus, all through the book of John, is talking about God is the one who wants to abide with and in us and wants, calls us to abide in and with God. And says, so in my Father's place, man, my Father's house, that there, there are many abiding places. Right? So our abiding with God is not something that, that ends in this dimension of life. That, there, that our abiding is ongoing. This is what Jesus is trying to affirm. Uh, that, that God called us into relationship not just for now, although for now, uh, but that relationship extends right beyond our earthly life. And that this is good news, that God is one who wants not only us to dwell in God, but who wants to dwell in us. And when God does dwell in us, 
by the Spirit, then I think it is possible for us to offer the kind of hospitality to open our lives, our homes, our own dwelling places that, that make them potentially rest and refuge and place of remembrance and ground for relationship in beautiful ways. Um, so think about home this week. Uh, think about what it might mean to abide in God and to have God abide in us. Um, what difference would it make for the way we think about God if God is our home? What difference would it make if we truly believe that God wants to make a home in us? Um, that's, again, that's breathtaking to me when I think about it. Um, as beautiful a thing it is that God wants us to be at home in God, that God would choose to be at home in us um, is a source of wonder to me, I have to be honest. Um, what a beautiful gift um, for God to to honor us um, with the presence of the Spirit to make a home in us. May, may God's dwelling in us and us dwelling in God uh, be a witness uh, in this place this week. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are humbled that you would call us to be at home in you, to see you as our dwelling place, to see you as our ultimate abiding place, to abide in your word, to abide in your love. And we confess we also are humbled and astonished that you desire to dwell with, among, and in us. <clears throat> that you might find an abiding place, that you might find a dwelling place within us. We confess we feel unworthy of that, and yet we know that that's beside the point, that this is your desire, uh, that you yourself make us worthy of your presence, by your presence. And so in this coming week, we pray that uh, we might not only find ourselves most at home in you, but by your spirit, you might make our lives uh, our own dwelling places, our own relationships, you might make them refuge and shelter and rest and places of remembrance and ground of relationship for those who might cross our path this week. And in so doing, might you touch the world 
through us to your glory. We pray through Christ.